Hello, everyone, and welcome to Romance in Color, your destination for real inclusive romance. I am one half of the duo here at Romance in Color, Tati Richardson, and we have an amazing, amazing uh, podcast lined up this week. It is a double dose of writing in color episodes this week. Uh, in part one, we have uh, for Hispanic Heritage Month, Sarah Taino. Uh, Sarah Taino is a debut author with Harlequin Romance. Uh, she is the inaugural recipient of the 2019-2020 Harlequin Romance Includes You Mentorship. So thousands and thousands of women actually entered and, and writers actually entered this contest and she won. Her debut contemporary romance, A Delicious Dilemma, is out right now as a Harlequin special edition. We talk a lot about her uh, Puerto Rican heritage, about big families, uh, why that's important to her writing. And we talk about the whole process of becoming this Harlequin mentor and, and having the mentorship uh, process um, happen for her. So it was an amazing, amazing interview. So you guys sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of our Writing in Color uh, feature this month for Hispanic Heritage Month. Sarah Taino. One, uh, welcome to the Romance and Color podcast. Uh, we are kicking off our season three with our author interviews. We're going to be doing them every month now, you guys. So I'm here with our first interview, which is Sarah Taino. And I hope I'm saying that correctly. I am awesome. <laughs> who is a Harlequin special uh, debut author uh, with her um, novel, A Delicious Dilemma, that's going to be out September 24th. So thank you for coming to the podcast, Sarah. I'm so excited to talk to you. And we're going to talk all about um, your debut novel, how you got started and everything. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. And when did you first fall in love with romance novels? I ask everybody that question. Yeah, and that's fine. It's sort of like an origin story, right? It's like, yes, yes. how did you become? <laughs> All right. um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a story I often tell because it's um, my, my mother uh, used to read romances. And in fact, my, my aunts, and it's very like, especially with the older women in my family, we, they read romances all the time. And my mother would buy bags of them from the used shop because she'd obviously burned out, burnt out the uh, library supplies. So she would use the, mm. but go to the used shop to get, you know, the category romances. I remember she used to read the ones with like the gray cover and the blue line. So mm -hmm. the romance was Harlequin. Yeah. It was an older line that they had. And I remember she would buy those in the presents with the, you know, sort of the cream colored um, cover and she'd bring them home and she would keep the ones that she really liked and then she'd return the other ones sort of trade them in and buy them I think at that time you can get them for like 10 cents each um right. and then um you know I got curious and I got into them and I started to read the ones that she would set aside and I was I had no business reading them but I did and it was, <laughs> I think it was like maybe nine or ten I was really a precocious reader I was a really avid reader already at that age mm -hmm. and so I loved them and I just kept reading them. And I, you know, I used to, I used to write a lot and I remember trying my hand at writing one. I think it was about 11 mm -hmm. and 
my mother found what I wrote. She oh was my not, God. She was not. <laughs> also, because I wasn't worried about plot. I was writing about like the good stuff. And so she was like, oh, no, you don't, girl. No, you don't. So she took, she grounded me for the summer. And that was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she wasn't playing around. She was not playing around. So, yeah. I wasn't allowed near her stuff, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously. You're like, she's like, what are you writing? All the juicy bits, no plot. No plot. I didn't know what PWP was, but now I know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah, um, but it was that, and you know, it's it just it kept on from there, you know, it just uh, I haven't stopped, obviously. But yeah 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 so you come from uh i think if i, if I read correctly you come from a pretty big family correct yeah yeah, yeah so right. so <laughs> so how did like your family your culture your upbringing kind of influence um what you wanted to write or what you what you wanted to like present out into the world with your writing when you first got started well <clears throat> so it's, I think like with most writers, we, we, when we start out, we're not writing for anyone else. Right. So a lot of the writing that I did when I was younger was, you know, like journal writing or po really bad poetry or just mm -hmm. you know, whatever I wanted, you know, because I wasn't thinking it didn't occur to me that it was a possibility to be a writer. It's like, I thought writers were out there in the ether somewhere, you know, just existing. Um, and I didn't never occur to me that that could be something that I would do or could do. And mm -hmm. so it didn't occur to me until about, I would say, I, I think would, I, I say five years ago, it's more like, you know, it's more like eight or 10 years ago, like it occurred mm -hmm. to me that I could actually write and someone else might read it. And right. so, so when I was, you know, first writing, I, I'll be honest, I started off like writing like fan fiction and short romances because mm -hmm. I thought that's what I could handle. And um, so I made, like, if I wrote a fan fiction, I made all the main characters Puerto Rican. Like, I, I was like, I don't care. I, was like, I do what I want. Like, you right. I want you. Right. <laughs> and so that's how kind of that started. And then, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the feedback that I got from people, I thought, well, maybe, because I, I also, I, I teach, I teach English. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, you got to handle on the story thing. I think you could give it a go. I think you could try it and right. write something you know, for a more general audience. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. where that started. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I know a couple of years ago, you did the um, Harlequin mentorship, um, yeah. the romance includes you. Mm -hmm. How instrumental was that in like your impetus to be like, hey, okay, I'm going to do this 100% seriously, professionally, you know, yeah. how did that really change the trajectory of your career? Well, because before that, I mean, I was trying like every other author, you know, you, you're, okay. you're trying. Everybody's always trying. We're trying. And, uh, you know, you, you know, I had like stories and anthologies and things. And I felt like I was, you know, getting better and better. But I felt like as when I got the mentorship, it really ref like I started to learn to work like a writer. And so like right. a professional writer like I had to think okay I'm writing you know for a storyline I have to have a query I have to be able to do things in a certain way and I, had, I have a really I he still works with me um you know his name is Charles Greenspan and he's the author he was the editor who worked with me in the mentorship and mm -hmm. he 
you know, really like to, he, he just took me through every single step. He's like, okay, you got a manuscript, you got, you, you know, you got chosen. Now we're going to start from the beginning. And this is how you write a query. And this is how you write a synopsis. And this mm. is how, you know, it's submitted. And this is what happens when it's accepted. And then um, this is how we do, you know, revisions and all the types of revisions. And there, you know, I, I admit some, some things I knew, some things I didn't know at all. Right, and right. it was truly like, and, and the, so the mentorship, gave me a vision of you know what writers do at work i mean and there's mm -hmm. it, and, and it wasn't it's not like it's not a hobbyist you know you're you're working every day you're always mm -hmm. thinking about something mm -hmm. you're hustling as they say constantly right. whether you're doing it on your manuscript or you're doing it outside of your manuscript you know with, with marketing and things so the mentorship was absolutely critical in fact so much so that you know i feel <laughs> you know we're still in like mentorship it's been since 2019 was when i was chosen and it's mm -hmm. you know 2021 and i'm still in mentorship mode i'm like teach me more teach me more <laughs> yeah yeah amazing it's you don't yeah. get that kind of access usually you're kind of yeah. muddling on your own you know yeah so i want to back up though guys let's jump yeah. into the mentorship part but yeah. how did you feel like there were thousands and thousands of applicants for this mentorship and you were chosen how in the world did you feel you were like wait me like, exactly. <laughs> like i'm being chosen like how did you feel when, when you got the call or the letter or whatever uh about you know hi sarah you've been chosen well the, i'll tell you the first time that i was called i was called by um glenda howard who's senior you know editor over at harlequin mm -hmm. and the first time she left the message i didn't even hear the message because people were like I'm like notorious. Like people know I'm I'm terrible with my phone. And oh my I don't check <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm like, I guess technology. I don't. The phone freaks. Like I love my phone for some reasons because I'm connected. But sometimes mm. it like I put it away. I don't want to look at it because it gives me like anxiety. And so that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, look at this phone. And I didn't check my messages. And so she called me a second time. And that's when she called me. She's like, oh, I left the message. I'm like, you did. Oh my god. And then I remember I answered the call when I was. I was at lunch um, at school. I was teaching and I was on my lunch break. And when she mm -hmm. called me, I was like completely, completely like I couldn't talk. I, I was completely, she, I made no sense to her. And I'm, <laughs> she, you know, a credit to her, her incredible patience. But she, she, you know, she introduced me to my, you know, my editor. And it was, I, the first thing I was thinking was like, this, there's no way. Because when I applied, I had zero expectations that I would be selected. I was just like, mm -hmm. it looks like a good fit. But who knows? But I'll just give it a go. So I had no idea. I had even put it out of my mind, really. Wow. I'm so not expecting it. I was not like checking my email because I seriously thought it was beyond the the um, you know, the statistically beyond the range of me. Right. So right. I was completely babbling more than usual. I didn't even know what I said to her. That's um, that's amazing. I think I would be like, I would probably on the floor weeping or crying. They would have to probably like escort me out of my like, <laughs> out of my um my uh job. Like, what's wrong it's with you? you the kids that came in, the kids that came in in the afternoon. I remember, right? Because I teach high schoolers, and I remember in the mm -hmm. afternoon, I was like, because I don't really talk about my writing life with my high schoolers because my writing's not really meant for them. Um, right. So, I don't really talk about it a lot. I, I do talk about it in general terms just to help them understand that, okay, you know what I'm trying to help you do as an application in the real world, guess what? Mm -hmm. But um, when I remember telling my kids in the afternoon, I said, my, my brain is totally exploded. I, you know, something <laughs> really big happened. So excuse me, forgive me, I'm doing my best here, but I may not mm -hmm. make a lot of sense. 
So right, right. Because it's not like I could leave and you know, like have a celebratory, I don't know, coffee or a drink. I had to right, right. Wait the rest of the day. And so I was like, just just bear with me, guys. I'll be better tomorrow. Promise. Right, right. <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna know now. I'm sure they know now. <laughs> they're gonna be like, um, excuse me, I have your book. Look, can you sign it? They're gonna bring you. They're so class. cute. Sure no, they're they really are. into their. They're in that YA world. Like they're really oh, into yeah. the YA books, which yeah. is probably good. You know, because I'm kind of like, oh my god, please don't read my books. But um, <laughs> but they're really into the YA, and they do know that they can talk to me about that because I do read YA um, novels. You know, just to keep mm -hmm. up with what they're reading. So it's that's mm -hmm. a point of intersection but they, they don't touch my books i hope <laughs> so let's talk a move into more about the process of like writing and how you get inspired and get started where do you pull like a lot of your uh ideas from or uh how do you kind of build the world in which you want to set your characters mm -hmm. well you know with um i, I never want to say it's easy because it's not easy writing is incredibly mm -hmm. hard we know mm -hmm. But right. um, A Delicious Dilemma, the East Ward that I pulled that story from, um, is kind of modeled on the Jersey City of my childhood. Um, so when I was pulling, when I was sort of like crafting this sort of universe for East Ward, I was using a very specific time in the history of New Jersey around the 80s before it had mm -hmm. really, it was like right on the cusp of moving from like a kind of a rundown uh, waterfront, you know, former waterfront town into right. like what it is today, which is like, it's very developed. It's sort of almost like considered an extension of Manhattan. You know, a lot of professionals mm -hmm. live there um, mm -hmm. because it's more cost effective and they just take the path train into, you know, New York. Yeah. And, um, so that was the model that I had in my mind. So for that particular universe, that's where I drew my story. In fact, it's almost, I don't want to say it's autobiographical because it's not quite, but there right. is a lot of personal history that's written into um, that, you know, a delicious dilemma. Um, and so that's where I drew that story from. But, you know, other stories can really come from anywhere. I do like um, I do like setting stories, if possible, in places where I'm familiar with at mm -hmm. some even if I've only visited a few times because I do like like rooting a story in a, in a sense of place. It's hard to mm -hmm. do that. If I've, you know, been in a, in a location. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I like I, right now I live in Florida, so I have quite a few short romances set in the different cities in Florida because I'm yeah. deeply familiar with them and I can really talk about them in an authoritative way. So A Delicious Dilemma is set in New Jersey, in that metropolitan area, and I can talk about it because I grew up there. And that's yeah, so it so it really fits into like the broader context of where you want to go, like storytelling wise with, Absolutely. you know, with your experiences and drawing from all of these different parts of your life and stuff. And you mentioned the thing about the development and stuff, because that's what's going on in the novel. Like this kind of, this battle between like a family run restaurant and these developers coming in. So this sort of like this story of like culture versus gentrification. Right, <laughs> um, yeah, which is happy, which is so relevant. And somehow, you know, you pull a romance <laughs> out of that too. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, what's the biggest conflict I can put here? Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you, I mean, do you think that, how do I want to phrase this? Do you think like in a way, this idea, this kind of juxtaposition between like this culture that's there and this kind of moving forward, um, 
in in like a, a time or or or, or a, um, a neighborhood that's changing and evolving yeah. how would that affect obviously characters in a romance that are trying mm-hmm. to like somebody who's trying to hold on to their traditions and somebody mm-hmm. who's trying to like move forward you know do you uh, like I mean I don't want to give away the story <laughs> so, so I'm trying not to because <laughs> I want people to read it but um you know what do you have to say about that like about this kind of this kind of clash between culture and mm-hmm. and moving forward and holding on to like your culture if that may, I hope that makes sense Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that it's, I would like to think that it's very relevant because I'm also living the area that I live in now, which is in the Central Florida area, is seeing a lot of development too. I think it's really relevant um, to, um, especially like uh, cultures that um, have a large diaspora or Mm -hmm. diaspora because, right, so you have your native culture and and your traditions, which are very strong. Uh, One thing Mm -hmm. I, I know, even seeing, you know, my husband who is, you know, he's Italian, he's born in Italy, he lives in the United States. Um, And so in a way, you know, he is, in a sense, living his own immigrant story, right? Right Right. now. And everything, one of the things that we all have in common, it seems, um, is that we we really adhere to our traditions, because when you're in a different place, that's what defines who you are. And so you can't, it's hard to define yourself with the place that you've traveled to or the place that you're trying to, you know, insert yourself in because you're always a little bit outside. And so Mm -hmm. those traditions are what people hold on to. Now, in the case of Belle, um, who's the main character in my novel, she was born in the United States. It's her parents Mm -hmm. who are immigrants. And so so what I wanted, I guess, to show with her is that she is, and so she is, she considers herself, you know, part of New Jersey, part of the United States, but she knows also that she has this tradition behind her and she has built her life, you know, sort of manifesting it through her cooking and through her family relationships because it's part of her identity. That's what she's inherited from her parents. And so I think that that's where that comes from, that idea that when you are in a stranger in another person's land, and I know this mm-hmm. in so many different contexts, because I lived in Germany, absolutely, and I was a stranger in that context, and it allowed me to see really on ground zero what it means. Well, well, how do you hold on to the integrity of who you are, and how much do you give up to assimilate, or at least mm-hmm. to function? And right. so that's where right. that comes from, and that is, that's a, I think it's a universal experience. Um, yeah, absolutely, with the movement of people, and so it was easy to draw. A romance from that because the conflict is sort of baked into the experience <laughs> right it's right it's right 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 so as you were going through this process of doing your debut novel writing I mean I know it can be very very solitary mm-hmm. the process of writing did you have like a community that you like kind of cling to another community of writers of color or another community of maybe even debut authors who are kind of like pushing you along and like giving you advice because even though you're in this mentorship and you're getting guidance from agents and editors and things like that Mm -hmm. still the process of writing the book is totally different than Mm -hmm. you know the quote-unquote business side of of things so Mm -hmm. during the process you have like a group of folks or someone or anyone to lean on like writing this thing because I know being a debut novelist is it's, it's terrifying <laughs> yeah and you don't know how much you can ask you don't know how, who to bother you know and you don't right. want to call um one of the best ex- 
things that I did was on <clears throat> and their Facebook groups. And also there's right now, I just, uh, I'm a part of a wonderful group right now, uh, word makers, um, mm -hmm. where we do the, they're doing, we're doing it right now. Oh, yeah, we're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'll be up all night tonight. No, mm -hmm. it's Tony K in five days and it's such a great group. Um, but it's, it's, I just found that group now, a previous group that I, and, and I'm still a part of, um, it's the, the um, old school romance book club has a writing group um sort of like it's a satellite group it's on mm -hmm. facebook and i started i did you know work with them and i built relationships there and also in the mm -hmm. new romance cafe they put out a lot of anthologies and i built relationships there too and those mm -hmm. are a lot of the places the people that you know sort of push you and indie authors are amazing for that like mm -hmm. indie authors are so great because they're out there they they always have their ear to the ground and they're all doing everything oh, and they're pushing so hard. Um, yeah. And then I also got a lot of, I took a course with uh, Priscilla Oliveras. Um, she offers a course through, I think it's like Florida International University. And it's yes. a romance writers course. And she has been incredible. You know, if yes, I, I want to email her, she's, she's great. And she just, she's generous with her time. And she's a very kind person. Um, usually I have, and I have fellow, you know, sort of romance and category writers that as I, you know, write and review and, and talk to people, you know, I'm building relationships there too. And they've been really, mm -hmm. you know, they've been really supportive. One thing I have to say is the romance writing community is incredibly warm and receptive. I mean, we Absolutely. have our moments where I know things, things happen, but for the most yeah. part, the, the nature of romance writers is to be really warm and supportive. And so I haven't had yeah. trouble finding support. It's, it's, yeah, everybody wants you to succeed in the romance community. Nobody wants to see you fail or give up or or not even try. So, like, like you were saying, particularly indie authors who are like doing everything, everything. Um, you know, they just know so much, and they're just like this wealth of knowledge. And even as I know, yeah, as no problem, yeah, yeah. And you, as a traditional writer, um, a traditionally published writer, mm -hmm. I know you're like gleaning that information or whatever really? what kind of what did, did you just how did you decide say I'm going to be indie I mean I'm going to be traditionally published versus um doing things indie wise you know um I think with indie writers are such hard workers and <laughs> <laughs> no, let me, yeah I've, that's true I've, I've, anthologies i've done little anthologies i've pub, you know i've done anthologies where i've worked with groups of writers and we're promoting and we're putting everything together and formatting and the amount of work that they put in extra writing is so incredible yes. i admire it so much um i'm traditionally published because i really i had this opportunity um with harlequin mm -hmm. and of course i'd like to continue with it but i think i envision my career more as a you know sort of a hybrid author because yes. I do like yes. the idea um, of writing things that are a little bit you know sort of experimental or maybe they're not mm -hmm. quite you know in um in in a in the you know may not fit in a category or may right. not you know sort of writing different things I think that authors of color especially have um and you know they have a good opportunity with self-publishing they can reach audiences that are hungry for stories that maybe mm -hmm. there's not always a lot of space for in a right. traditional publishing house right. not to say Harlequin is doing a great they're doing an excellent job really trying to reach out in all their category lines to authors but you know they're they're you know one out of like you know five publishing houses and we know the numbers you know in terms yes. of what gets published so yes, those, yes. That, there's your chance really to step out and say okay you know let me see if I can if, if let's see if 
you know, what kind of writer, readers I can find for the story. And it's, yeah. it's an opportunity too. Before, before you did Harlequin, um, the mentorship program, was there any point in your career where you felt like you got like maybe pushback or anything like that about what you were writing or the audience you were trying to reach or culturally where you wanted those kind of linchpins to be in your writing? Did you feel like you had pushback from either industry or other people saying, you know, I don't know if that's marketable. I don't know if that's that's good. And how did you respond to that? Um, I've been, I guess I've been really fortunate because I haven't mm -hmm. had, you hear a lot of experiences and I haven't had those. I think also because I stepped into the mentorship in a, in, in a good moment where this conversation is taking place yes, at every level. Yes. We're really, you know, the, the so many writers before me have broken ground and mm -hmm. made space so that now I'm able to, you know, benefit from the opportunities that they've created. So mm -hmm. I'm luck. I fortunately I haven't had too many. I did have. I did one time send um, a manuscript to a contest, and I was told that the I, I had really very good scores, but I was told that the main character wasn't relatable, and we know that relatable is sort of a tricky word right. when dealing with um, because my lead. This Puerto Rican woman, and um, you know, you you want to ask, is it relatable because she's dislikable, or is she relatable for other reasons? Like, I would like mm -hmm. to know what that is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the only experience I ever had. It's nothing much you can really do about that. You just kind of look at it globally, your your feedback, and you say, okay, I'm gonna take what I can yeah. take from it, make this better, and what doesn't, you know, really make sense, I'm not gonna you know, dwell on it. I'm just going to do the best I can with, with what I have. So like I said, I haven't had those experiences, but I'm also relatively mm -hmm. new to things. So give it some yeah, time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, no, you, with this, I think, you, I think you've already kind of solidified your own path. I don't think anyone is ever going to give you any pushback. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. I feel it. I feel it from, oh, from the bit that I've read or whatever. Full disclosure, I have the book. I started it. I'm reading like a million things at once. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm like, oh, Lord. She's going to be so mad because I haven't finished. <laughs> but it's like also a question. Through. It's a focus thing, too. Like, I try, I'll, yeah. I'll open a book and I'll be like, yeah, this is great. And then, you know, 12 seconds later, I forgot I read it because I'm reading something else. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's a lot. And you want to read all of it. <laughs> yes, my husband laughs at me because I'll have an audio book on and reading a book at the same time. And he's like, yeah. how in the world are you doing that? I said, I'm just used to doing it like from college because I was an yeah. English major too. So I was yeah. like, I'm used to doing that because you have to read so many books during the week. So it's I was true. like, yeah, I'm just used to doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's true. Absolutely true. From this, from this, um, from this experience, have you... Have you, I didn't I didn't know if I read this or not, but you could clarify for me. Like, have you been agented or do you have an agent? And if so, um, was it important for you that that agent have a certain level of kind of like what we say is like cultural competency mm -hmm. about what you're writing and what you're mm -hmm. trying to develop as your brand? Right. So I um I haven't I don't have an agent yet. I am querying. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, well, you're done. Why don't I'm asking this? It's, it's, it's coming. So anyway, <laughs> it's so funny. Um, no, but I, you know, I'm, I am, I am querying, and you know, I have, I wrote, I have a co-written project, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. I'm writing with, um, I wrote a book with R.L. Merrill, 
Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a multicultural book. So, um, and it's called Rumble. And that's the manuscript that I'm, I'm querying right now. And um, so I, I don't have an agent. I, I lucked out that the, men, the editor for my mentorship, um, he's really, really culturally like sensitive and savvy and he gets mm, mm. what I'm trying to do. And so mm. I was really lucky with him. Like he was just, he's exceptional. And he's so mindful and and you can see that he does the work you know does does the, the work to understand and to really um you know make sure that the book is 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 doing what i want it to do you know and doesn't change anything fundamentally especially culturally relevant so i mm. the, the experience that i've had with him has been really good does does it matter if my agent has a handle on like a cultural you know mm -hmm the agent has a something culturally in common with me but I think that someone who does really you know good work on you know you know just understanding you know the culture that they're you know editing and working on I think that that goes a long way like sensitivity you don't have to yeah. be born into it you just have to kind of possess it and you know and and be willing you know to sort of you know listen like for example if there were things in the book and my editor didn't really understand what, like, what the significance was. I would tell him, I said, well, yeah, I put that in because of this. And we would have those conversations. And they were really, you know, uplifting conversations because, you know, like, he was getting it. He was understanding it. And he was really making that effort. And, you know, just make, wanting to make that effort, I think it's is enough. <laughs> it's enough. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean really necessarily, like, having it, you know, your same culture in common, but just having right. enough competency Absolutely. to be able to just you know, understand, like you said, and have a sensitivity mm -hmm. of where you're coming from and what your perspective is. Absolutely. I totally think that's way more important than just, you know, us being so much alike, you know, because sometimes that's not a good thing. Sometimes you want someone else's perspective, you mm -hmm. know, to see like others, the other side of things like, hey, you know, Absolutely. maybe this might not work well, or this may not translate as well as you think it might translate. Right. But, you know, um, yeah, I, t I totally, totally agree. Yeah. So with writing and with writing your debut, um, I know there were times you probably were like stuck or in the weeds or had like writer's block. How did you like break through those things or what are some tips you can give to like kind of break through like when you have a block or you're stuck or you're just like, it, I feel like I'm swimming and, and drowning in over my head. Right, right. I think sometimes... Um... I think with me, writer's block is usually writer's exhaustion. Like sometimes I block, mm. I'm just tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. So what I do is I just, I, I stop. I try to get some sleep and, you know, take care of myself a little bit and just kind of step away a little bit from the project. I, I know that it's hard when you're on deadline, you're like racing to get things written, but just sometimes resting helps. Um, plot For plot things, I have like, uh, uh, you know, like uh, critique partners and I have a very good friend um, who's an um, editor herself? She's she had, she has her own um, editing concern, and she we talk a lot. We talk a lot, and I'll talk through things with her. Or if, you know, if I have a fellow writer, say you want to you you want to do a little plotting with me because I'm a little stuck here. And mm -hmm. usually, talking it out for me helps a lot um, to be mm -hmm. able to un you know sort of unknot. Sometimes just starting a story from a different place you know helps mm -hmm. a lot, or you know changing some. The whole point is not to let the block stop you. Just kind of either talk through it, sleep through it, <laughs> eat through it. 
yeah, or, or just ride around it. Sometimes I just ride. I was like, you're gonna stay there for a minute. I'm gonna go over there and write that scene because I know I yeah. have it unlocked, and then I'll come back yeah. to you. And so yeah. a lot of times the brain will work it out, you know, on its own. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you're writing, what are like particularly for this novel? What was some of the hardest? I don't want to give you to give away anything, but what are some of the hardest things? to write just in general you don't have to say scene specific but what are some of the hardest things to write um, when you're writing like is it character development is it you know the setting is it like a crazy plot twist like what is what are some of the hardest things to like write when you're when you're writing my my problem is i, I tend to I re, i'm really descriptive and i easily get lost in details like i love to describe things so i want to describe the how can i describe it make this you know sort of like really immersive, you know, so that the reader is there. But, you know, and sometimes I'll forget, wait, but you got to have a plot. Like you can't just describe ad infinitum <laughs> price and right. for three pages. Like that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you might wax poetic on it, but the reader wants something happening. Right, so sometimes right, right. I'll, get bit, I'll get a little bit lost there. And lately I've been having some trouble um, with my black moments, right? Because I want... Mm -hmm. It, there's so much discussion on them, you know, about, well, well, do they, do the couples need to break up or do the couples need this and that? And sometimes I'm like, okay, I know they have to have some sort of crisis because that's got to come from their characterization, but just trying to make it so it doesn't look like uh, someone walked in and dropped the bomb and walked away. Like, where did this right, come from? Right, right. And so I find that that has been consistently the hardest thing for me to write because I don't want it. I know what it feels like as a reader. I'll read something, everything's trucking along. And then like the main character will do something insanely out of character. And it's like, what did you just do? Why did you do this? Oh my God, I should have known. We're at 75% of the book. Cause I'm making sure it doesn't happen. And I you know, I don't want that. I want that to sort of flow naturally from the characters. And so I find that I do struggle. I spend a lot of time on that and thinking and thinking, well, how do I want if they're going to break down in some way or so, or their wounds or, or their conflicts or their insecurities mm -hmm. come to a crisis point, how does it kind of happen naturally? That's been my biggest yeah. challenge lately. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how that, yeah. that's a challenge. And, and now that you're talking about writing and being descriptive, I wonder how, how many drafts did you like go through to get this particular, <laughs> your eyes are like, what? <laughs> how many drafts, drafts did you go through to, to like narrow it down? So like, okay. I know category is very specific. They have their mm -hmm. own rules. You have to follow them to a letter with Harlequin in certain categories. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how, how difficult was it for you to like, like narrow things down to that convention? Like when you're writing and going through, I can't even imagine. I'm guess. Okay. I'm going to guess. Did you have like five drafts? You're, you're like, you, 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 you. Well, how do you know that? <laughs> because, like, literally, there was literally three versions of that novel floating around on my hard drive. And there are like drafts of, of scenes and just there's so much. I, I revise a lot and I rewrite a lot. Like I just started working on a draft for something else and I already looked at it and I'm like, I'm going to have to rewrite the whole first 30,000 words. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself? I can't help it, you know, because it's like I'm trying to oh, find, I write my way into the stories, you know, and so with El Delicious Dilemma, the nice thing is that it already had, like, it, ha it had a really strong trope, and it already mm -hmm. had a really strong conflict, so right. with it, when I finally came to Harlequin with the manuscript, it was at 85,000 words, and the mm. category kind of cuts off around 60, I 
the yeah, top limit. Yeah. Um, so I had to cut like 25,000 words. And so it wasn't really as, I, it, it, the nice thing is I didn't have to make the plot like work in a way, like I make it, because it was already there. What I had to do mm -hmm. was I had to strip away subplots. There were so, there was some, some of the subplots mm -hmm. had to go. It was just so much. Um, and that was where the work was, is, is just stripping away the parts to, I had to keep my character. Like there was so, there were extra siblings, there were extra family members and siblings. And there was, <laughs> there was just a ton of, there was a trip to Germany. I mean, it was crazy. There was so many we had to pull them out because it was like, no, this is too much. And, but, but luckily um, with category, you know, what matters most is you have a really good, you know, trope or a hook and you have a really, really good conflict. And then everything else is sort of like a playground for the writer. And so, you know, I, I, I lucked out in that, lucked out. I mean, I happened to have a manuscript in that respect that sort of fit. Mm -hmm. It was just long. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Right. Is it, is it like when, well, after you do the draft, when do you know it's time to like let it go? Like uh, when you do all the drafts, like when do you know, like, okay, I'm done. I, I can't write anymore. I can't revise anymore. When is that? What is that moment where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like I, I can't write anymore. Um, I, you know, I've, you know, I'm a tinkler. Like I still go back to old stories and fix them. So I uh -huh. almost feel like I'm never done. Cause I always feel like I'm, Oh, I'm developing as a writer. I could go back and fix that story. Like, so mm -hmm. I don't ever feel like they're ever done, but there is a time when usually it's the deadline. Like it's an external thing. Like, so I have a story and then I've worked it and I've worked it, but wait a second, I have to turn it in. You know, and so, I, you know, I send it to my readers or I send it to my, um, you know, personal editor, you know, works with me and helps me, you know, clean up stuff. And then um, then I have to just let it go because I have a deadline and that's that kind of determines it. If I'm working on something personally, I could edit it forever. Like I could really edit it forever. And <laughs> it's a problem. It's one of my weaknesses, you know. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now that you have this baby going out into the world, what do you think, what does literary success look like to you after all this is said and done? And how do you reward yourself for it? Mm. You know, the dream is, right? The dream is that you could live off your writing, right? And that you could, right. you, know, you know, write books, you know, full-time forever. Um, realistically speaking, though, we know, you know how hard uh, the industry is. For me, mm -hmm. for me, a success with my books is that you know readers love it you know and the readers really enjoy it and um so i would love if, if i can hear that readers you know picked it up and couldn't put it down or read it in a sitting or really just sort of you know they were lost in it they want more i have you know that then i know that i've been successful that to me is success and um because i don't it's not that i don't expect the other things but I do know that that takes time I'm realistic about it and so I'm, I'm okay with waiting I'm really patient but if I'm writing something and and, and you you've enjoyed it and you want it more or you want to reread it again then I've done I've done a good thing that makes me mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome all right so we're getting to the fun part of the um interview this is fun this is the part where I give like the rapid fire questions and you have to give me like the first thing on your mind. Sort of like, um, James I apologize in advance. The, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's sort of like James Lipton and Inside the Actor Studio. I love it. So, um, first off, I remember you talked about tropes. What's your favorite trope to write and your least favorite trope? 
um, well, my, my favorite, I go through phases, but my favorite um, is, it was enemies to friends up until about, you know, five minutes ago, and then it was enemies to lovers. So, uh, excuse me, friends to lovers, enemies to lovers. My least uh -huh. favorite is a surprise pregnancy. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I concur. Those are, those are my, my favorite ones. <laughs> um, what was your favorite book as a kid? Do you remember? <clears throat> I used to read a lot of comic books. So I was reading X-Men um, when I was younger. I was, you know, I had, because I have a lot of male cousins. And so my mm. male cousins um, were always reading that. Um, and then I had this one romance by Danielle Steele, which was amazing. It was about, all I remember is that the main character where wore our page perfume. And because of that, I went out and I would, for many years, I wore our page. <laughs> and that's her fault <laughs> that's her fault that's her still fault. a classic um do you like writing heroes or villains oh i i but love nobody's really a that. villain in your story though no, i mean I no. no nobody's yeah. a villain no no i mean i've never i've never written a really truly bad character uh, now that i think about it i think that I like writing cinnamon roll heroes and I love mm. writing complex people that have like little stinky characters, you know, like, um, like Val is not perfect, you know, mm -hmm. so maybe imperfect or flawed characters, but I haven't written, I, maybe I should try to write a bad guy. <laughs> bad guys are fun to write. I have a yeah, bad guy yeah. in my main yeah. script. So, um, do you like writing love scenes or dramatic arguments? No, I love scenes. Oh gosh, I hate fighting. <laughs> <laughs> all the love. So, where do you write? Like, what's your favorite place to write? I love to write in my where I'm at right now. Like, this is sort of my right. It's a very small, you know, sort of writing desk with my chair. Uh, I often, however, find myself writing on the run because I'm you know working or I have to mm -hmm. fit it in wherever I can. But this is my favorite mm. spot. Yeah. Mm. So. Um, are you into movies? And if so, has there been a really good book to movie translation that you like? You know, the, or I I remember, there's, you know, the English patient. I love mm. the movie, the book. I, I had such a hard time getting through it. It was one of those examples <laughs> where the movie was better than the book. I just remember oh. reading the book. And saying, oh, what a drag this book is. <laughs> but the movie is great movie's excellent so I do like that I know it's a little tragic but I, I do like that movie a lot yeah that's yeah. a good one um book reviews do you read them or don't read them you know I try to be like really like oh, I'm not gonna read book reviews that's not my space <laughs> you know I'm a writer I should be in the reader space please <laughs> <laughs> I might not say anything I might not mention anything but oh my god sometimes I'm just like <laughs> that's funny I can't help it. um hello are we pause okay um what's the, okay what's the last yeah it blinked out a little bit um what's the last romance novel that you read oh goodness goodness I was just listening to Rosalind Parker takes the cake I haven't mm. Rosalind Palmer takes a cake by Alexis Hall I was just reading that and then I was, oh, 
I have a, I have a, a, a novel that I reread a lot. It's called The Summer Palace by C.S. Picard. It's not a novel. It's a short story collection, which is based mm-hmm. on a print series. And I just love that short story. And there's another one about Charles the Merchant, the, the cloth merchant. There's like these two stories in there and I love and I just go back and I reread them um, sometimes as a comfort read. So that's the last thing that I read, Eyes on Page, but I'm listening to Rosalind Palmer, Palmer Takes the Cake right now because it's hilarious. It's great. What is the funniest typo that you've written? Like funniest typo? Um, You know, uh, it's not so much. Okay, I... Didn't, it's not a typo, it's not a typo, but one time I searched a manuscript and I had the word, and it was like a, a short manuscript, like maybe 30, 40,000 words. And I had the word Justin there something like 600 times. It was incredible. <laughs> like, how did I do that? And I don't know if you notice that when I speak, I use a lot of filler words. When I write, sometimes I do that as well. And so that's right. why it was in there 600 times. So, so that, was- that, that, that also goes into like the word that you see a lot in your writing. It was probably just, <laughs> so do you write to music? And if so, um, what do you write? What do you, what do you listen to rather? You know, what's funny is I, music is incredibly important for getting me going and writing. I have playlists for each of my books. And when mm. I'm in, when I'm trying to get into the mood of a book, I'll listen to a playlist like while I'm walking, while I'm driving. But when it comes time to write, I need to shut it all off. I cannot listen to it because I get distracted and I just shut it all down. So I actually write in silence, but the lead up mm. to the time. Yeah, I have tons of, of music. It just depends on this. Uh, um, it depends on the book, you know. So mm-hmm. like, for example, a Delicious Dilemma. I had a lot of disco. There's a lot of disco. There's a lot of salsa. Because for me, Val is like a salsa disco girl. You know, her mm-hmm. brother's more her brother's more like, you know, bachata. And it's a little bit, you know, sort of, you know, less complicated dancing because he doesn't dance the way she does but she's definitely mm-hmm. a awesome girl so that's what i was listening to with her okay okay so i have to now now i feel like i need to play some mark anthony oh. and some um <laughs> and some hector laveau so yeah hector laveau is he's influenced mark anthony a lot so it's interesting you like them both because they're like yeah. yeah, I saw the movie where I'm all off on tangent, but I saw the movie where mm-hmm. he played Hector Laveau. He was really good in it. I thought he was yeah. really good. Yeah, he, has and he's, acting, know, he has a little acting bone, Mark Anthony. Yeah, he has an acting bone. He's pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good. I like that movie. Yeah. Um, so where if your book, we talk about movies, well, if your book became a movie, who would you want to play the lead? Oh, that's interesting. Um, because I did have for the longest time, her name was um, Rose. I think it's Rosalia. Uh, Rosalie Sanchez was one of the people that I had in mind for Val, but just with you know, with just different hair. Her hair is wavy, and Val has very, very curly hair. And so mm-hmm. I always imagined her. And then for Philip, I actually originally had someone else in mind, but then he turned out to be like a really naughty. Like he got, he was almost arrested for it. And I was like, oh my God, how did I choose that actor for <laughs> poor Philip? So oh my God. I no, I know. He was like a criminal. And then I turned out. <laughs> so I, you know, the, the, the young man who played in Beastly. Um, the, mm, yes. yes. His name will come to me. I forgot. I always forget it because he has like. A, I, I've seen it. Yes. But I know. Yeah, I, I always imagine an older version of him playing mm. Philip. You know, just really like very exceptionally chiseled 
young man, but who isn't perfect, you know, like Philip is extremely handsome, but he's not perfect. And so right, right. envision something like someone like that. Yeah, that's I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Um and we already talked about what's the hardest stuff for you to write in your in your novels. But what's the easiest what are the easiest things to write? Um banter, banter. Like banter. yeah. Sometimes what I do is I um I write all the dialogue out because it just comes to me, right? And so mm -hmm. like it, today what I could trying to get my <clears throat> 4K. <laughs> Will it happen? I we'll see. <laughs> but I was trying to get it in and I was like okay you know i'm gonna write banter that was right and it was just coming you know because i have like the you know i could hear the characters speaking and then i'll go back mm -hmm. in and i'll you know you know put you know physical markers and things like that but that is easier for me than writing other mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. yeah. like let's say you were get to get like a huge advance like they're going to turn your book into a movie or something crazy like i'm going to talk about six figures what would be the first thing you would buy oh Oh, I don't know. I'm cheap. I don't buy it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't reward myself too much by, by buying stuff. So I'm always like, oh, yeah, buy more books. You know, <laughs> what else? <laughs> probably like, but if I, I would probably buy a better printer. Like I really need a better printer. My, my printer is like, I bought a nice compact one. I really want like a better printer and I would buy maybe some book merch to go with my books because I guess if that gets a movie then people will be interested in my books and then I should have you know book goodies to give away and um probably buy more books that I have no time <laughs> to read because that's who I am so I'm simple like that I just yeah so where do you see romance going in like the next I don't know five ten years oh I think that um I think it's on a really neat trend right now with sort of opening itself up, you know, mm -hmm. I would like to see more voices, more um, uh, marginalized voices, um, more authors of color, more queer authors, more um, mm -hmm. representation. Like I want to see, you know, and you know what I would like to see also, I enjoy a lot. And I think it, it, it happens in some ways is to see more like working class stories, like stories with more working yes. class people. Like I do love, don't get me wrong, I love the, the billionaire, the billionaire, um, you know, sort of hero or heroine. There's some fabulous, beautiful stories right now with billionaire heroines and their fabulous alpha ladies. Mm -hmm. But I, I kind of want to see, you know, stories also that um, sort of bring us down a little that, you know, are down a little bit where we live as mortals. And so, and I do see that. I do see that tendency to sort of crack open the genre even more and allow more people in. And I think it's a good thing. And, and I'm excited to see, how, you know, that as it develops. Yeah, my friend and I, we call that blue collar love. Like we want to mm -hmm. see more blue collar love going on. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like, you know, the, the, the alphas and the billionaires and, mm -hmm. and the princesses and things like that. Like we just want to see like a mechanic and a school teacher fall in love, <laughs> you know. Let's see how they manage all that, you know, because the child, I like a lot of the conflicts are baked right into the whole, mm -hmm. you know, working at that level. And so it's, there's some great stories to tell there, I think. And, and there are some people doing it. There's a lot of writers who do it. So it's not to say that they're not there, but I like this. Right. Story. Yeah. Right. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So uh, is there like a one new author and like one like classic author that you would recommend for people to read if they're like new to romance? Who would they I be? Would recommend, I would recommend Beverly Jenkins to anyone who comes along. Mm -hmm. She, oh, Indigo owns my heart. 
But then I oh, said, yes. But even her, like, you know, like her, so her contemporaries are also fantastic. And, and everyone in her stories are related to other people in the series. Like she has like this wonderful, like multi-generational thing going on with her, her novels. And I love mm -hmm. that. So when you fall into those novels and you're reading about a contemporary, um, you know, story and the, you know, the, the, um, you know, great grandparents are, you know, the Western that she wrote, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I love this, it's amazing. And it just- I love that too. How powerful, and how powerful family and history and everything is all connected. And I just love that. I just tell everybody, go start there and you'll be, you'll be okay. <laughs> you're gonna be yeah. all right. Um, yeah, she's and then she's amazing, she's amazing. And I, I love, um, I love all her books. And then, um, so a newer, Newer, as in I, I love Nadine, um, Nadine uh, Gonzalez. She's writing the. Mm, um, yeah. She wrote the Desire book. She she wrote What Happens in Miami, and then she wrote um, oh the first one. Oh my gosh, how could I forget? But I love both of. I love. She's another one coming out too, and she used to write for um the other another category line of her stories there too. But I love her stories because she you know she has she talks about Miami. And so it's very specific mm, to my, yeah. I mean, those movies are, are fantastic. And I love, I love her story. And I was just read, I was just reading something by Yafa Santos. She wrote A Taste of Sage. And I love she, that book. Oh my God. It's so good. Food. Uh, it's so good. She's a foodie for real. Like she goes out there for and she makes recipes and she's like, look, I made this. And I'm just like, oh, I'm coming to your house. She's so good. And I love her story. <laughs> so they're fabulous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of recipes, before we go, I know you have a Navarro family cookbook that you can get if people pre-order. What mm -hmm. is your favorite recipe in that cookbook? Ooh, so I have um, <laughs> I have one of them that I love a lot. I featured it on the um, I wrote about it on the uh, one of the um, on a, a Fresh Fiction about a month mm. ago. And it's a ceviche mm. recipe, and it's mm. really easy to make. And I have like um some of the recipe cards, you know, that you know, I can send out, but because the, the pre-order is, well, it's, it's, the pre-order is, is done, but right. it's available for like, uh, you know, like giveaways and stuff. And when we did the, the um, romance for, for Haiti, it was one of the prizes too. And there's mm -hmm. a giveaway, the Harlequin, Harlequin junkie is doing a giveaway tomorrow where people can get copies of the recipe book, but the ceviche is nice because the ceviche is very doable. Um, it's yeah. an easy recipe to kind of put together and you can mm -hmm. put any fish you want. Like I'm not, I'm allergic to seafood, so I can't eat lobster and crab, but I can put whiting and I can put other fish. Um, mm. and it comes out mm. really, it's yummy. So it's one of my favorite yeah. recipes, so quick. And it's really good for you. And it doesn't take any time at all to make. Yeah, that sounds really yummy. Mm. I love ceviche too. Oh, so okay, good. so when it's all said and done and you're at the pinnacle of your career and you've won all of these um, awards, <laughs> what do you want readers to say about the books that you write? But they were good. They were good. You know, they, they, they looked forward to, they couldn't wait for the next one to come out because they just wanted to, to get in there. I want them to laugh. I want them to feel a lot. And I want mm -hmm. them to not be able to put it down. You know, it's mm -hmm. the, the things that I love in my novels. And I'd like them to describe them as beautiful. Like there was a, a list that came out um, about, you know, beautifully written uh, romance novels. And I remember there was um, uh, uh, Kennedy Ryan was on there for her hoops, mm -hmm. the hoop mm -hmm. series. Oh, you know, they're so 
they're so beautifully written. Like she has, it's like she's not just telling a story, but she is crafting a story. And I would love right. someone to say that about me. I would love to be like, yes, you know, that wrote a, a beautiful story as well as an engaging story. So that's mm. kind of where, where I'm at. I would love that. I think you're I think you're totally there, but oh. I'm just being biased. <laughs> I think you're totally there. <laughs> so this has been super, super fun. Oh, Thank you so too. much for coming on to the podcast. Thank so you. where can people find you on social media? And um, you know, how can we keep up with what you're doing and what's coming out next? What is coming out next? Okay, so um, I have a I have a newsletter coming out on the fifteenth where I have um, a, a really long deleted scene um, from a delicious dilemma because it was such you know such a big manuscript. I have this like this massive sort of alternate dinner scene um, with Philip and Val, and I won. I, I'm I'm you know, including it in the newsletter, and so you can sign up there. You know, saratino.com is my um, author website, and mm-hmm. you. Can, actually go there and there's it says mailing list you can just sign up there for it um i'm usually all of my 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 handles are serotino so on mm-hmm. twitter i spend a lot of time there um but i also spend some time on instagram and and i try to um i try to enter the chaos that is facebook but it's i get overwhelmed <laughs> there's a lot happening there so yeah um, those are, my, those are my hangout spots. But definitely, if you want to get a look at the deleted scene, um, sign up for the mailing list. It comes out on the 15th, my next newsletter. On the 15th. And the book, A Delicious Dilemma, comes out September 24th. So oh, or, or, um, so August, August 24th, I think. Um, oh. it's a, yeah, it's a September publication. So September it's actually on bookshelves now. Yeah. No, oh, it fun. is on bookshelves now. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. But you know what? Well, Harlequin has a funny like sort of publishing thing, right? So they have like the Mills and Bloom and it comes out first in UK and then they have the ebooks and then they have the paperback. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's staggered. Yeah, like staggered. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. This has been super, super fun. And I can't wait to see what you have coming out next. I can't wait either. I don't know. Thank you so much, Sarah. You too, dear. We want to thank Sarah Taino from coming on to the podcast. We so enjoyed her. You can find her at Sarah Taino, T-A-I-N-O dot com. She also has an author Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sarah, S-E-R-A, Taino writes. She's on Twitter, Instagram, BookBub, Pinterest, everywhere at Sarah, S-E-R-A, Taino, T-A-I-N-O. Thank you guys for joining us for this part one of our Writing in Color Double Dose. Uh, Tune in for the next episode, which is going to be featuring the one and only Laquette. You guys take care. Bye.